why you ever chose me It's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not-quites With all the other get-it-rights But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul And ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Both had stage right David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world What the model of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Save my soul And ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down in history As another blood Faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name Well, that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down in history As another blood bought Faithful member of the family And if they all the world to see nobody but Jesus cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul and ever since you rescued me you gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus Living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Being in a congregation of nobodies this morning, we should all be nobodies trying to tell somebody somebody to save my soul. That's exciting to me. Y'all are going to need, I'm going to have to wire these pews one of these days. We're just going to, you know, that should get you excited. We were talking in, in our Sunday school this morning, um, working through the rest of the book of John, and we're looking at where, where Jesus actually went to the cross. That nobody here was worth dying on the cross for somebody. You 
you are somebody today because of him. You have purpose. You have meaning. You might feel like a nobody. But when you get up and you put your feet on the, ground, on the floor in the morning, if you're looking up and you're thanking Jesus that you opened your eyes and you got started on that day, if you're starting out thanking him and you are somebody to him that day, get out and tell somebody else about what he's done for you. I think that's part of our problem anymore. We're, just, we're glad to be part of the club and we don't want any new members sometimes. But we got to we got to build the kingdom because we're not just Liberty First and Calumet and Eastside. We are the body of Christ. And we don't want to see anybody go to hell. So I want you to stand with me. I want you to try really hard to put a smile on your face. I know Dina and them just came back from vacation and it's hard for them to smile now, but she doesn't have to go back to work this week. Chris does. I must tell Jesus.
morning, good morning. Uh, it's very good to see you here in the house of the Lord. It's great to be back from vacation. We had a very relaxing vacation, but it's good to be back into the house of the Lord. We want to welcome you here to Liberty First Baptist Church. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, we ask that you please take a uh, tear off out of the bulletin and fill that out, please, and drop it in the offering plate when it comes through. Uh, that way we have a record of your visit. Um, and we want to thank Miss Latrell for filling in on the piano this morning. It's very thank you for that. Um, as we go to our announcements, just please keep in prayer that um, our newly elected deacon, deacons, Chris Counts, David Winchester, and Kevin Fowler, they'll be rotating on and they'll be serving alongside with Dennis Jackson, Gabe Whitmire, um, beginning in August. So keep them in your prayers. Um, we also want to remind you of the Christmas tree over here in the in the sanctuary for the Operation Christmas Child. Please take a card off of the um, Christmas tree and, uh, and uh, take two if you need to and just uh, grab the supplies that are needed for our Operation Christmas Child. Um, we'll be packing those in a few months. Um, WMU will be meeting this or be meeting Tuesday, August 9th at 6:30. So if you remember that, please take note of that. And also, please remember our Act sign-up sheets over here. Um, if you're, um, please pray for how God would want you to serve here in the church, and please sign up over here to uh, to serve somewhere. There are a lot of needs that are need to be met here in the church and I just ask that you please sign up as uh, God leads you and we'll be putting together a nominating committee here in the next couple of weeks so be in prayer for that please be in prayer for our pulpit committee that we'll be putting in place and we just want to again thank uh, Dr. Dickard for filling in for us this month he's been great uh, great to be here in the church with us and we just thank you for your leadership and we thank you for your service here um Men's prayer group will be meeting on Tuesday mornings at uh, 8 a.m. That's been changed from Wednesday when it was, Pastor Mark had it here at Wednesday, but it's going to be changed to Tuesdays at 8 a.m. And the men's prayer group will be meeting down here in the fellowship hall um, down in the basement. So uh, just be in prayer for that to, to meet in that. We want to uh, pray for John Canardi uh, this morning as uh, he went well with his knee surgery. So um, just pray for him that he continues to recover. Also, please be in prayer for Aaron Whitmire. He's been sick this week. Um, I know they took him to the hospital last night, but uh, Gabe said he's back home now. Um, but he's just been very sick. So y'all please pray for him and, and Gabe and, and Jennifer and that whole Whitmire family um, as, as he gets to feeling better. Please pray for our church. Pray for our pulpit committee. Pray for uh, um, where God would lead us in the next few months and, and that pastor that he has for us here at this church i know that he has the pastor picked out for us here at this church and we just pray for his wisdom and his guidance and uh, as we go to prayer time i'd like to invite if you would want to come around to the altar and gather around the altar as we go to the lord in prayer Dear Heavenly Gracious Father, we just thank you so much for your blessings, Father. God, you are the great I am, God. You are all-powerful and all-sufficient, Father. You are all-knowing, and we just thank you for that, God. We thank you for the privilege to be able to call upon you, Father, as 
we come to prayer and as we look to you as for guidance and leadership, God. And I pray that, God, that this church would keep its focus on you, Father, and not get caught up in, in our needs, Father, but what, you, what your will is for our, this church. God, we thank you for all the people here. Father, we thank you for all the members here in this church. God, I pray that you would be with them, Father. I pray that you would lead and guide them. I, I pray that, God, that you would watch over them and care for them, Father. God, I pray that you would be with the ones who are sick in this church and the ones who are um, at home, Father. I pray for John Canardi as he is recovering from knee surgery. Father, we thank you that he came through with that very well. God, we just pray that you would help him to continue to recover. We pray for Aaron Whitmire, Father, as he is at home sick. And God, we just pray that you'd be with him. Help him to feel better, Father. And God, I just pray that we'd see him back this week, Father, in church. God, we thank you again for everything that you've done for us, Father. God, we pray for our pulpit committee that's going to be put together. We pray for our nominating committee. And Father, I pray for this axe table, Father. I pray that, God, that you would lead our members, Father, to to come and sign up for uh, what you're calling them to do. God, I pray that our nominating committee would not have anything really to do, that these, um, that these places would be filled to serve you, Father. God, we love you and we thank you, Father. God, I pray that you'd be with Dr. Dickard as he brings your message to us, Father. I pray that you would use him to, to speak your words, Father. God, we love you and thank you for us. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And I just want to say, if you're not attending on Wednesday nights, although this will be the last Wednesday night that Robert will be with us, unless we can hog time and get him to at least finish this series that he started, very interesting, wouldn't you agree, Elaine and Larry? The uh, we're we're starting in in, in Genesis, and uh, just just really enjoyed that, Robert. Um, so this is my challenge: be here on Wednesday night, and I'm gonna keep the rest of it a secret. Stand with me as we sing our offertory hymn when the morning comes. <laughs>
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this wonderful day. We come out and worship, worship you in the house, Lord. We ask you to be with our ministry, the Lord, and our uh, in Liberty First Baptist, and Father, as we we, we search for our, our new preacher, dear Lord. We ask you to be in prayer and guide us in the right directions. Lord, we ask you to bless the tithes and offerings that we might receive and bless the kingdom. In thy name we pray. Amen. is calling Have you come to the end of yourself Do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Leave behind your regrets and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was born with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing Yeah. 
appreciate that. I've always wanted to be able to sing like that, never have been able to, but I'm glad that you can and to use, use it for the Lord. Well, again, welcome to the service today. <clears throat> I hope that you had a great week in the Lord and that you've come this morning with your hearts and minds open, ready to hear from God. So let's turn to God's Word, John chapter 11. John 11, and we will read verses 32 through 44. And I forgot to give the sound folks my outline this morning, so it won't be on the screen, but uh, I apologize for that. John 11, beginning in verse 32, and we'll read through verse 44. The background of the story before we read. You know the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, very close friends of Jesus. In fact, they lived in a little place called Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, and whenever Jesus would be in that area, preaching or teaching or ministering, he would drop in, sometimes just have a meal with them, or maybe sometimes spend the night. What a great honor to have Jesus come just stay at your home for a day or two and rest. Mary and Martha and Jesus' uh, sisters and brother were very close to our Lord. There came a day when Lazarus got sick. 
There weren't drug stores and medicines and doctors as we have them today. Lazarus got progressively worse. And finally, the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, go tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Now, they did not explicitly say it this way, but what they thought, what they intended was, Jesus would just drop whatever he was doing and come there and heal Lazarus. Now, they knew that he had the power. There was no doubt in their mind that Jesus could just say the word and make Lazarus better. And so they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and Jesus never showed up. Lazarus got progressively sick. He died and was buried. And then finally, they heard that Jesus was on his way. And as you read in the scripture, Martha heard he was coming. She left the house and went to meet him. She wanted to see him and find out what was wrong. And so she approached him and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. She's in Jesus' face. She's angry. She's upset. They've just come back from the funeral of the burying her brother. And Jesus, in her mind, has let her down. He has disappointed her. And she wants to know why he didn't respond. Very calmly, Jesus said, your brother will live again. It kind of went right over her head. Oh, I know he'll live again in the resurrection at the last day. But for here and now, my brother is dead and my heart is hurting. And then Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So we pick up in verse 32. Then when Mary was come to where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Now, look at that. That's the very same word, word for word, that Martha had said to him out in the street before he got to the house. Now, how could it that Mary and Martha would say the very same thing to Jesus when they finally saw him? They'd been rehearsing this. In essence, they were saying, if I ever see Jesus again, when I see Jesus again, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. I'm going to lay into him because he has let us down. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. The King James word there in verse 33, he groaned in the spirit. Circle that, put a note by that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. He groaned in the spirit. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? Where is he buried? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, just simply says, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? 
Jesus therefore again groaning that same word important word in this text Jesus again groaning in himself cometh to the grave and it was a cave and a stone lay upon it and Jesus said take away the stone then Martha the sister of him that was dead said to him Lord by this time he stinketh for he hath been dead four days Jesus you don't know what you're asking He's been in there four days. His body has begun to decompose. The stench, the smell will be unbelievable. Why are you saying take away the stone? Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that thou hearest me always, but for the sake, because of the people who stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord to let me see an instant replay of this scene. I would love to see that scene when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What an exciting scene I think that would be. Maybe you're like Mary and Martha. There have become the things in your life that you don't understand. And maybe in your mind you're saying, the Lord has let me down. Why didn't God act? Why didn't God do something? Why did God allow this to happen? Some of you are old enough to know the name Corey Ten Boom. Most of you maybe are not familiar with Corey Ten Boom. She used to share her testimony with Billy Graham a lot in some of his crusades. Corey Ten Boom grew up in Holland with a sister, Becky, and mother and father and brother. And they were Christians, but in Holland, when the Jews were being persecuted, they created a place in their home they called The Hiding Place. Becky wrote a book called The Hiding Place. It was later made into a movie of how they would hide the Jews to keep them from persecution and torture and the death chamber. Well, eventually... The Ten Boom family was found out. Becky and her sister and Corey, uh, their brother and mother and father, were carted off to a concentration camp. Though they were Christian and not Jewish, because they had hid the Jews and helped the Jews, they were put in the concentration camp. So Corey and Becky ended up in Ravensbrück prison camp in Nazi Germany, where it's recorded that 88,000 women died in that horrible place. There's a scene in the book, maybe in the movie too, where Corey and Becky, who have smuggled a Bible into the prison camp, are trying to witness to a woman, and they're talking to her about the love of God and, and loving God and trusting Him. And that lady holds up her hands. They're swollen and bloody and bandaged. And she said, look at my hands. Look at my hands. They are broken and bruised. I'm a concert pianist but I'll never play the piano again. What kind of God would let this happen? 
And then she said, either your God wants to help, but he can't. Or he could help, but he won't. And their reply is something like this. Well, there are a lot of things that we can't understand. She didn't say it, but maybe she meant we'll understand it better by and by. I wish that Becky or Corey in that book had gone a step further with her answer. I wish that she had said, well, not everything that happens in this life is the will of God. God made us as free agents, moral aid. We can think and choose and we can make decisions. God allows us to do things because we are free. Now, the consequences of those choices and the consequences of decisions we make sometimes are far-reaching. But not everything that happens in this world is the will of God. He allows ungodly people to make ungodly decisions in their life. Have you ever made an unwise choice <laughs> or an unwise decision? Now, Wednesday night, people, remember, we're going to talk about the difference between a choice and a decision. This coming Wednesday, don't miss it. Have you ever done something just real stupid, real dumb? We all have. I've told you a couple of stories about that, but I was on a mission trip on one occasion with some, uh, we used to go missionaries every year, and this time we had about 75 or 80 of our high school kids there, maybe a couple of middle school students mixed in, just a big group of kids, and we were in uh, Washington, Vermont, working on a church up there in the New England states, and two of the guys bumping chests with each other about who's the biggest and bravest and strongest and baddest, and they decided to have a contest, and I'm thinking, not wise, don't do this. And one of them said, well, what can we do to prove who's the baddest? And they pulled out a bottle of Tabasco sauce. And the deal was, they're going to see who could down, drink down that bottle of Tabasco sauce just in one swig. And the first guy, old guy named Jason, turned that thing up. And he sucked about two sucks. Of that thing. And I mean, he just threw the bottle down and ran. Now, when he got able to talk again, he said, that was not a wise thing. God will let you do some stupid things if you want to. Some dumb things. Some unwise things. Is it the will of God that some uh, gunman walk into a school? No, that's not the will of God. But he allows it because we are free to make decisions. There are some things that happen to you that you don't blame on God, God had nothing to do with, it comes about because of sinful decisions. I want you to look at the story of Jesus and Lazarus. And there are four verbs in this text that I want to call attention to this morning. I hope this will help you in your growth. I hope this will help you in your walk with God. This will help you perhaps as you share the love of God with others. But there are four verbs in this text that we will consider for the next few minutes. Look first at Jesus' compassion. Verse 35 said, Jesus wept. He looked at Mary and Martha, two women whom he loved. They were very close to him. He cared deeply about them, and he saw them in tears. 
their, their brother had died and their heart is broken. Now, Jesus knew that he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew that's why he had come to Bethany anyway. That's why he waited four days. And that's why he's shown up now. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But it looks at Mary and Martha. They don't know what's about to happen. And they're grieving. Their heart is broken. They don't know what's just ahead. We don't know what's just ahead but God does he knows all that's out there the good and grand and glorious things he has planned for us but at this moment all we can see is what's going on in our heart now here's the takeaway if you miss everything else I say get this are you listening Jesus cares about you you are important to him when you're grieving and your heart is broken and there's trouble in your life he cares about you you are important to him if it's important to you if it brings tears to your heart and tears to your eyes God knows that and he cares about you there's an old song in one of the old paperback hymn books I grew up singing and the title of that song was does Jesus care oh yes he cares I know he cares for me Folk, I have news for you today. God cares about you. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever circumstance there is, whatever might cause you to weep, God cares about you. Jesus knew that he had the power. He's, in fact, he's thanking God in these verses. Lord, thank you. Hear me. I know that I have the power to do this. Thank you. I, I'm saying this for their benefit, Lord, because I know that you hear me. Can I give you a truth? Write this down. This will help you. I promise you this will help you. Write this down. Write it on paper and let the Spirit of God write it in your heart. Are you ready? God's power is always tied to His purpose. God's power is always tied to His purpose. God has the power to do anything and everything that He wants to do. But he chooses where to demonstrate that power according to what his purpose is for your life. God had the power to cause uh, uh, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, to have a baby when she was 80 years, 90 years old. He has a, does he have the power to do that today? Absolutely. But he probably won't do that today because it's not his purpose God had a purpose in that miraculous birth so Jesus arrives and they're weeping they're crying their heart is broken it gives us an insight into the heart of God he cares about you he knows what hurts he knows what troubles you have when you go home today keep this in your heart God cares about me. I'm important to him. Because I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, that you are important to God. Jesus wept. Now, people ask the question sometimes, why was Jesus weeping? Why was he weeping? Maybe some good explanations for that. None of them are completely uh, adequate. But maybe he's weeping because he knows he's got to bring Lazarus back from the grave. He's got to bring him back out of paradise, back into a sin-cursed earth. Maybe he's saying, hey, Lazarus, I do this to you, buddy, but i got to bring you back. Your sisters are grieving. If you were in heaven, 
right now, do you think you'd want to come back to earth and be a part of the mess that's on the earth? I don't think I would. I'd rather stay there. We're thinking, well, anyway, let's look at verse 38. Second verb. Talked about that a moment ago. Verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It's a cave and a stone lay upon it. He groaned in himself. Write down the word contempt. We looked at Jesus' compassion. Now Jesus' contempt. He groans. And this is a word that means indignation. He stirred within his heart. He stirred within himself. He has some deep felt emotions about all of this. He groans within himself. Jesus gets angry. He just becomes, he becomes mad. He gets angry. Now, the Bible says be angry and sin not. So it's not a sin to be angry as long as you don't let your anger overwhelm you. But it's important that you get angry over the right things. Now, our problem in, in my life, maybe yours, I have a tendency to get angry over the wrong things. I wonder if God looks at his church today, at Liberty First, at Calumet, at Eastside, at Rock Springs, at Mount Pisgah, if God looks at his churches today, I wonder would he say, you folks are not getting angry about the right things. For example, I believe that Jesus got mad this day over hypocrisy. Did you notice it said that there are a lot of folks there weeping and crying, carrying on uh, when Jesus was talking to Mary and Martha. Now in that day, you hired folk to come to the funeral to cry and mourn and weep. Because in their mind, the more you cried, the more you carried on, the more you sort of uh, stirred the crowd, the better the funeral service. If there was a lot of crying and whining and moaning and tearing clothes and all that kind of thing, then you were not showing respect to the dead person. So they hired people to come and grieve and mourn and cry and carry on. So maybe... Our Lord looks at that scene and he gets angry over these people with all this fake emotion because he's angry at their hypocrisy. They're demonstrating emotion that they don't really feel in their heart. I wonder if the Lord looks at us and says, you're just pretending. I wonder if the Lord would look at us and say, you're just make-believe. You're playing make-believe. You're playing fantasy. You're playing some sort of role. I wonder if the Lord will look at us today and get angry at the hypocrisy in our heart. People who say we believe something but the way we live denies what we say we believe. Did you know what a person really believes is dictated by the way he lives? The way you live is an illustration of what you really believe in your heart. I think Jesus is really angry and upset over sin. Not Mary's sin, not Martha's sin, not Lazarus' sin, but he looks at the hurt and the grief and the pain that's not pretend, it's not make-believe, it's real in the life of, life of Mary and Martha. He looks at them and he gets angry over what sin has done to people he loves and he cares about. Their heart is broken. And he's, he realizes this is a direct result of sin. The sin of Adam and Eve that brought sin and death and destruction into the world. And he looks at them and he gets upset because this is what sin has 
done to people that I love, people I care about. You know when the church will have revival again? It's when we get angry at sin and what it does to people. It robs them of hope and life and joy and peace. It robs them of, of what God had planned for them. And, and we will not have real revival in the church until we come to hate sin and what sin does to people that we love and people that we care about. Been a pastor for more than 50 years. I've known uh, many folk who have sat in the waiting room or in the emergency room with their loved one and they're fighting for life. They're somewhere between life and death because of some sinful thing that either they've done or somebody else has done. I've seen the hurt and the pain that came from that. And, and when we look at those and see what Satan has done and he's robbed them and stolen from them and lied to them, it's time as a people of God we get angry at sin and the hurt and the pain that it causes. The book of James talks about revival. In the book of James, he says, I'm paraphrasing, but James says, we laugh at things that ought to make us weep. We watch things on TV sometimes that depict some sinful thing, some drunk or somebody uh, acting crazy and we laugh at that but there's nothing funny about it. There's nothing funny about alcohol and what it does to somebody when they've been involved in a car accident. There's nothing funny about a divorce that happens. There's nothing funny about the brokenness and the hurt and the pain that comes from all of those things. It's time, folks, again, that we get angry at sin. But we've become so comfortable at sin that there is no contempt anymore. Jesus groaned in himself. Inwardly, he just, oh. Now we hate sin, but listen, we have to love the sinner. God loves the sinner. Listen, they're important. Jesus died for them. And sometimes we, we get those two things confused. We have to understand while we hate sin, we love the sinner and we want to see them redeemed and rescued. Well, for time's sake, I've got to hurry on. Look at verse 43 at the third of the verbs that we're going to look at. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now they rolled the stone away in protest. Lord, the, the stench, the smell is going to be overwhelming. And finally, they rolled it away. And Don't you know that every eye was glued on the mouth of that cave? Lazarus, come forth. Every face was focused on the mouth of that cave. What would happen? What would he, what would he do? Why were they protesting this anyway? Roll the stone away. Can't you see? Can't you hear? The, oh, we can't do that. I've been in church all my life. I've been leading churches for a good many years of that life. I've been a director of missions for 18 going on 20 years. Sometimes it feels like 50 years. And here's what I hear a lot of times. 
we can't do that. Or we've already tried that. Or that won't work here. That just wouldn't be the right way to do it, go about doing it. I was in a meeting with some church leaders one time and we were talking about some things we want to do to reach people, to evangelize the lost, and to expand the church and grow the church. And Well, that just wouldn't be the right, I don't think that's what we ought to be doing. And so I just stopped. I said, brother, tell us your plans. What would you do? Well, I don't know, but I don't think, well, I like my plan better than yours because you don't know, at least we have a plan. Whenever you talk about raising the dead, the first thing you hear is how bad the stench is. Do you know why God raises dead people? Now listen, do you know why God does that? So it won't stink anymore. I've been in church all my life. I've been around a lot of stinking Christians. I mean, they just, I mean, not physically smell, but just their attitude stinks. And their, their way, the way they live stinks. And God raises people from the dead. He raises them so they won't sink anymore. And folks, if there's no other reason to have revival, then that's one of them. And so they're complaining about that. And finally, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. I told you the other night about Alan, first guy that ever baptized. Some of you weren't here. I'll tell the part of the story again. Oh, Alan. He was about seven, eight years old, but very short for his age, maybe nine years old. But uh, So I got ready to baptize Alan. He was, I was more nervous than Alan, first person I ever baptized, and got ready to baptize him. And had the thing, had, some, had a block there for Alan to step on. And I said, come on, Alan. He goes, come on, Alan. And then finally he said, uh-uh, preacher, that water's over my head. <laughs> Vacation Bible school. I'm saying this because some of you heard me tell this story before. Vacation Bible school. Alan, I was teaching a class. Alan was in there. And we were studying this passage. And I asked the question, how did Lazarus get out of that tomb? He's wrapped up like a mummy. How did he get out of the tomb? Oh, Alan goes, I know, preacher, he hopped out. When I read this text, I can see him hopping out. Lazarus, come forth. Look at verse 44. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Lazarus, come forth. What was the emotion, do you think, on Mary and Martha when they saw their brother Lazarus either hop out of that tomb or come out of there, however he got out of there? How did they, uh, uh, what were their emotions when they saw their brother once again? They were overwhelmed. You know they were. They didn't know whether to cry or laugh or clap. or they, they were just overcome with grateful emotion that their brother was alive. Lazarus, come forth. Some of them said, it's a trick. He wasn't really dead. <laughs> you know they did. They said, oh, it was a setup. Lazarus, come forth. He cried, loud voice. That's what it means in verse 42. He cried with a loud voice. There are three times in Scripture when it records Jesus shouting or crying out with a loud voice like that. 
One of them is here, and we'll talk about all those. But the next time that he cries out with a loud voice, you know what it's going to be? At the return of Christ, he'll come with a shout, with a voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. I believe when the Lord returns, he will shout and cry the same thing he did with Lazarus, only with us, he won't call out anybody's name. He'll just say, come forth, and every believer will come out of the grave. Hallelujah. He called Lazarus by name. Had he not, every believer in the tent cemetery would have come out of the grave. Lazarus, you, Lazarus, I'm talking, you come forth, Lazarus. So he limited that. Lazarus, come forth. Oh, the resurrection power of our Lord. He had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. He has the power to raise those in the future who die. And he comes in the second coming who will be brought out of the tomb. But i tell you something else. He has the power to bring resurrection life to you sitting here today. He has the power to bring resurrection to you today that are sitting in trespasses and sin. Maybe you're saved, but you're sitting here and there's defeat in your life. He has the power to bring resurrection to you. This can be your resurrection Sunday. Well, look at verse 44. The fourth of the verbs. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Unwrap him. Now, Lazarus is alive, obviously, but he's still wrapped up like a mummy. You couldn't walk, you couldn't run, you couldn't work, you couldn't hug your sisters. I mean, you're wrapped up. And what they had to do was unwind him, unwrap him, so he could be what God had raised him from death to be. Can I tell you this, church? God does the saving, but you and I get to do the unwrapping. When somebody is saved, when somebody is born again, we get the privilege of discipling them, of pouring into their life, of mentoring them, of teaching them, of encouraging them. So when they, they're saved, they come out of that grave with, with grave clothes on. They're saved, but now what we do as a church is help them to be loosened and unwrapped so they can grow and be what God saved them to be. That's my privilege and your privilege as a church. So the question then is, who are you unwrapping? A deacon knocked on my office door one Sunday morning, just about time for the service. And he said, Pastor, have you looked in the auditorium this morning? I said, no, I haven't. He said, we may have a problem what kind of problem? So I walked out there with him, and up in the balcony were two guys who'd come in to disrupt the service, boyfriends. They were hugging and kissing, and he said, what you going to do? I said, I'm just going to preach the gospel. So they sat in the balcony, and I don't remember what I preached that morning, but I preached the gospel, and I started giving the invitation. I noticed the guy, Paul, 
who he left his boyfriend, he left his bag, he came forward, and old Paul knelt at the altar, and God saved him. God changed his heart. God changed his life. I told the church that Paul had been saved. I said, I want to talk to Paul, and I'll, he'll come back later, and we'll, I'll let you know what decision he's made. I went to see Paul on that Monday. And I said, Paul, you know that if you were sincere about being saved, it's going to change your lifestyle. He said, I know. I've already broke up with my boyfriend. He said, I've done, I've done with that life. He said, God saved me, and I meant it when I asked him to save me. I said, then, Paul, you need to be baptized. And I explained to him what believer's baptism is. And he said, well, I want to be baptized, but he said, I've got to tell you something first. He said, I have AIDS. And he said, knowing that, you may not want me in your church. You may not want to baptize me, but I need to tell you that. So we talked some more, and I prayed. I said, you come back Sunday morning. Sunday morning came forward, and I stood there with Paul. I said, I told him Paul's story with his permission. I said, Paul's got saved, but he has AIDS, and he wants to be baptized. And over, amen, amen. So Paul started coming to Sunday school. I put him in men's class. It didn't click. Put him in, put him in six different classes with men. It didn't click. And then finally my light came on. I put him in a ladies' class, and it clicked. I mean, I went by there one Sunday. They talked about curtains and recipes and all that. But you know what those women did? Those godly women taught Paul to pray. They taught him how to read the Word of God. I walked by there one Sunday morning, and Paul was laying stretched out in the floor, and those women, godly women around him, and Paul was praying by name for his family. He's praying for his mom and dad, his sisters and brothers. He's praying for people he knew in the homosexual community. Oh, he was growing. Those godly women had discipled him. He was growing in the Lord. Paul got sick, went to the hospital. Both he and I knew that he wouldn't go back home. Horrible, horrible death from AIDS. What Paul said to me the last day that he was on this earth, he said, Preacher, I want to be buried in the cemetery, the little church where I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. Will you do my service? I said, I will. He told me the church name and all the details I'd need. Went to just below, above Asheville, somewhere up in the mountains, and had the service, a little mountain church. After the service, went out to the little mountain cemetery we got through his dad walked with me he said pastor can we talk to you for a minute sure so we went back in the little mountain church and the, 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 the Paul's mom and dad and his family came in must have been 25 or so they were sitting on this front pew and Paul's dad pulled out some letters from his coat pocket he opened one of them with trembling hands tears rolling down his face dear mom and dad I want to apologize for the hurt and the pain that I caused you. But I have some good news for you. I've just gotten saved. And he Paul, his dad pulled out another letter. Mom and dad just wants to know that I got baptized and I'm in a Sunday school class now and I'm growing. Pulled out another letter. Dear mom and dad, thank you for loving me, for not giving up on me, but I want to tell you that I'm the happiest now that I've ever been. Oh, and he pulled out five or six letters like that. Paul's dad looked at me, face wet with tears. He said, can you help us to understand what changed Paul's life? 
See, he had been disowned by his family. He had been sort of ostracized and kicked out. And what caused this change to come about in our son? And I was able to stand there that afternoon and share the same gospel that I shared with their son. Seventeen people in Paul's family got saved that afternoon. You know, I've thought about through the years what would have happened if the church had shunned Paul. What would have happened had it not been for those godly women who taught him to pray and taught him to study the Word of God and taught him to have faith in God? I don't know what would happen to Paul, but I can tell you this. It's my firm belief those 17 people probably would never have been saved because some people did the unwrapping of somebody who had been dead in sin. Now the question, are you unwrapping anybody? Are you discipling anybody? Are you helping them to grow in Christ? So here's the invitation. You've been very patient. Here's the invitation. Number one, you may be dead in sin, never having experienced a new birth. We talked about that Wednesday night. You're, you are dead spiritually until the new birth happens. You're made alive then in Christ. You can experience that today. I'll be here to talk with you. We can talk afterwards if you'd like. But I wonder if you come this morning and say, Preacher, I just need to get saved. I wonder if there's somebody that would come around the altar. I'll be, if you want to talk to me, I'll be here. But if you just want to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm tired of living a defeated Christian life. Lord, I'm tired of being powerless. God, I want to reconnect with you. I want you to fill me with your power and your glory. If you want to pray something like that around the altar, now's the time to do that. Would you come this morning around the altar and say, Lord, help me to be a disciple maker. Lord, enable me to unwrap people so to get rid of their old grave clothes, their old ungodly ways, their old ungodly habits. And Lord, help me to mentor them in what it means to be a child of God. Maybe you want to come and just pray for somebody that you know is walking far from God. Would you stand with me, please? Our heads are bowed in prayer. Father, I pray as we enter this invitation time that you would deal with our hearts in a way that you alone can. By the power of your Spirit, Lord, convict people of their need to be saved. Convict people this morning of their need to walk in newness of life. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that folks would seek you and cry out to you around the altar. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, you be coming, will you? Don't wait, you be coming. coming right now you be coming folks are praying
altar is open. Will you come? Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. What a good crowd you've been. You've listened. Or at least I think you listened. I hope you did. Be back tonight at 6 o'clock. Don't miss the service. It'll be well worth your time. I promise you. It'll be better than anything you'll find on television. I promise you. 6 o'clock. Let's have our closing prayer. Father, we pray now that you would dismiss us with your love. Help us to love you, to love each other, and to love lost people. Bring us back at the appointed time tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.